Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to uh, Sunday service. Welcome to TLC. If you guys don't know, I'm uh, Pastor Tony. Uh, I'm glad to have you guys here. I come today with two emotions. One, very saddened. And two, very excited. I am saddened because once again I realize my Buffalo Bills are not going to Super Bowls. It's very sad. <laughs> I thought this was the year, but uh, I guess not. But I am excited. I'm excited because we are starting... Our new series, uh, it is actually the, the beginning theme for 2023. I know some of you guys are thinking, how come it took so long to introduce the year's theme? Uh, honestly, you know, this church, the way we teach, we love just to repeat things. And I just want to make sure we get it from the deep part of our hearts, repeating our vision, repeating our values. Uh, so we usually start our theme right before we head off into a retreat because the retreat really solidifies and, and um, becomes the catalyst for the coming year. But I want to start uh, our theme this year uh, with you guys, with our series. And the series is called Rhythms with Christ, a year of Christ-centered living. Rhythms with Christ. And I'm excited for this, uh, for this because uh, we really want to see a lot of transformation just in the, in the life of the people, in the life of your relationship with God and where you are walking and being with the Lord. Okay? Rhythms with Christ. I know you guys are thinking like rhythms. Why rhythms? And the first time when I heard the word rhythms too when I was talking to this about uh, this, theory, this series with Pastor Lynn uh, last year, the theme of our year. Uh, the first thing that came to mind with the word rhythm was, um, was the clapping when we have in worship. Right? If you're like me and if you know me, I'm very offbeat all the time. Right? And it takes me a long time to get back on beat. Actually, when I first, when I first became a Christian, I always clapped offbeat. Right? And if you guys thinking, what's offbeat? I don't know what offbeat is. It took me, I think... Um, I think five years into my Christian life, actually, no, no, up to college, actually up to college, one of my brothers, actually my brother David, who's here, he taught me how to clap on beat because he was a drummer and he told me, you clap, Tony, when I hit the snare, not before, not after, when I hit the snare. I'm like, what? So whenever you hit the, hear the snare, that's when you're supposed to clap, you know? And I, I was in college and I was like, oh, oh, that's, that makes sense. No wonder I'm always off. And you know when you're off? And everyone's on, and all of a sudden you throw everyone off, and then everyone's just all off altogether. You know how that happens, right? So rhythms in Christ, it's that we are off rhythm with God. All right? In the same way, this year's hope is this, is that you get back into rhythm with Christ. Get back into the rhythm with Christ. And once you are in rhythm with Christ, you realize that you can do it without even thinking. At first it gets kind of hard to find your way back into rhythm with Christ. There's, there's a lot of mechanics behind it. There's a lot of... Um, uh, how-tos is a lot of sitting down and, and really focusing to get back in rhythm. But once you are in rhythm, it becomes kind of natural, right? And if you realize, sometimes when the drummer drums, he doesn't hit the snare in the beginning. But once you're in rhythm, you know exactly when the beat is. So you know exactly if he would hit it, when it would hit it. It becomes a natural part of your life, okay? So today I want to ask a very simple question. And so the question is, why are we out of rhythm with Christ? Why are we out of rhythm with Jesus? What is it that has been seen, and maybe I hope you guys see it, that has placed us out of rhythm with Christ? I want us to address the why today. And I want, to, I want you guys to listen because this why could be you, and it probably is you. And if you don't truly address this, this issue that you have, 
You can be going through your whole entire Christian life superficially, but masked with all of these services, believing that somehow you're in rhythm with Christ when all the while you're off. And not only are you off, you begin to take your family off. You begin to take the people which you serve off and with whom you lead off. When you are off rhythm, everyone begins to be off rhythm with you. So I want to share with us today to identify why are we out of rhythm with Christ. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read 16 to 20. And in the first reading of this, you guys are going to get a little confused. But I'm going to try to break down the background stuff before you so you can understand. Matthew chapter 11, 16 to 20. He is explaining. Jesus is here going to be explaining the the off-rhythmness of this generation that he's talking to. He's going to expound on why they are so off-rhythm. What's the reason that they are off-rhythm with him and with God? Okay? And he's going to use a, an illustration, and then he's going to go into an application of it. So here's the illustration, verses 16 to 17. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. This is the application. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we come into this place, into your presence and into the house in which we give you worship. And we come, O oh Lord, to listen to your word spoken and shared. Father, I pray over the brothers and the sisters here in this place that our ears will be open, our hearts softened, that may we may receive the instructions from your Holy Spirit. Oh God, we confess in every possible way we know that we are off rhythm with you. We confess to you, Father, that some of us may, may not even realize that we're off rhythm. So I pray, Lord, for revelation of that. Lord, I pray that what would hang in the weight of the heart and the shoulders of the brothers and the sisters, the sons and daughters here at TLC, the friends and family, is how desperately we need to get back with you. Oh, Lord, would you use me to preach your word unworthy as I am? Help me, oh God, to... Proclaim it with the authority and the strength by which you provide. Let nothing be said that is not of you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. What is this all about? What is the background of this situation here? Okay. Back then in the antiquity, Almost in every single town, there is a central marketplace. They call it the Agora, right? And this is where uh, during the weekends or during like high seasons of trade, everyone and everyone and everybody will gather in this huge center. They will have booths and stalls and they will begin to 
sell spices trade. They begin to uh, have a business out there, sellers and, 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 and traders, all alike, all gathered to have this. This is the place where all relationships, all connections are being done. This is a central place for all the community of God, or community to gather around, pe- people to gather around. Okay? Uh, and of course, just like any place, when you bring out your kids, they come and they run around, they start playing games. And on the days when the market is not there, you can imagine it's just a complete empty circle. And this is when the kids run out from their house and from their areas, and they begin to play like any kids play. They gather together and they play the games in which they see their parents play with other people. Not play, but they see the bigger social status or social gatherings that they've been so accustomed to. Games, they begin to play games like weddings and funerals. Because weddings and funerals were the biggest social events in the town every single time. Whenever there is a wedding, almost the whole town is invited. Everyone is there. There is music. There is um, joy. There's laughter. There's food. There's parties. It goes on and on for hours and hours, even sometimes even days. And in the same way, when there's a funeral, it's almost like the whole town is involved in the funeral. There are people that's hired to wail and to cry out for, the, for those who have lost. And there are, there, are, there are days and days of mourning. There's rituals which, which they go about doing these things. And so the kids, they grow up seeing all this. And so when the parents are off at work, the kids will go into the town center and they begin to play. They'll play weddings where they'll have a young lady who acts as the bride and they'll have a guy who plays the groom and they'll do their home music and they'll have the little parties, they'll have the little table set up and they'll just pretend to drink tea, eat food. It's just a whole game. Same way with the funerals. When they see funeral, they'll play funeral. Someone, they'll pretend someone dies, put a flower on them and They'll have other kids kind of crying. Yeah, you guys have to cry now. Everyone's like crying and wailing, right? It's this kind of act that was happening. And like all games, there are some kids that just don't want to play. You know those kids where everyone's doing one thing, but they just, just stand there? They don't want to move, and everyone's like, come on! They just kind of just stand there, right? I'm laughing in my head because I'm thinking of a couple, Right? They don't want to play no matter what. Everyone's enjoying themselves and they're just being brats. They have no interest. They want to stand there. They want to complain. They want to whine about why the game is not like this or why the game is not like that. And they're just not participating. And Jesus says that's exactly what this generation is about. That's exactly how you are as he begins to rebuke and correct the people he's talking to. He's telling them, you don't want to play no matter what the game is. You're never satisfied. No matter what is given to you, it's never enough. It's never good enough for you. There's always got to be some sort of change to it. You always got to have some sort of input behind it. And if no one comes along, they don't do it your way, you complain. But even if they do do it your way, you complain. Jesus says, you're like children who, when called by their friends, had no openness, no interest, just bitter, critical, contrary spirits. That was the attitude. And the application that he begins to have is this. This is what he says in in verse 18. So he makes this. Illustration with the kids and the funeral games and the wedding games. And then he begins to 
hit them home at where it hurts. And verse 18 says this, for John, this is John the Baptist. You know, the people haven't seen a prophet in over 400 years. The people of God, the Israelites, they waited 400 years. They have never seen a prophet come out yet. And not only was it a prophet, it was a major prophet. This one came out and he spoke with authority and power. And, they, and the people knew this man brought this truth of God's word. 400 years they waited. And John the Baptist shows up. And Jesus said this, For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they said he had a demon. So John came how? Like a funeral mode. He came in funeral mode, funeral style, right? John came, he was dressed in camel's hair, okay? Basically, it's just it's rough. It's not, nothing elegant, soft, or, or beautiful about it. It's just camel's hair, cloak, which, have been, uh, which have been, would, would have been black at that time. He came eating locusts and wild honey. It wasn't like he was actually eating enjoyable food. He basically caught a bunch of locusts. Grilled them over a fire, ate their heads, had some honey. That was, that was his meal, okay? And, he, and people coming out, and they see him wild in the desert, yelling, calling the people into repentance, wearing this kind of like ruggedy clothes. It's just a leather cloth on him. He had no normal social relationship. He was, he was yeah, he was that guy. He was the weird guy. That everyone was like, I don't really want to talk to that guy, you know. He lived in the desert. And they called him what? This guy's demon possessed. He's deranged. And, you know, rightly so. If you see someone like that out in the desert screaming, yelling, wearing not normal clothes, eating not normal food, having no relationship, no social connections to anybody, yeah, he looks deranged. But, but they called him demon possessed. They didn't, just come, they didn't just say, hey, I think he's mentally ill which has been a nicer thing to say, right? They went to the furthest possible criticism. This guy is possessed. This guy is now being led by Satan and demons itself. And if you saw him, you would have said he was a recluse. He's a hermit. Okay? He came and all he did was usually, he was, that, he was that dude on the street just yelling, repent or die, Right? Every time you guys see those people when you're driving your car, he says, this just on the street with their, with their megaphones, their microphones, and their big old signs, screaming the message of fire and condemnation. He was like that. He talked about, you got to repent. There's no way around it. He calls God's people to repent. If you're going to see some fruit in your life, you have to repent. He came in funeral mode. No normal relationship. No social activities. A voice crying in the wilderness, and they said he was possessed. They weren't happy with what he was bringing to them. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. The religious order didn't like it. A lot of people who were pretty proud of themselves didn't like it. You know what they should have seen, though, from John? They should have seen his lifestyle as a rebuke to indulgence, right? They should have seen that the way he lived was simple. The way he lived was, was a life of simplicity. It was a rebuke against the indulgences that the people at that time, overeating, living to, to decorate their bodies and their lives to make himself look good, feel good, valued by others. His life, John the Baptist, was a simple life, a life 
to let people know it's supposed to be simple. Not to acquire. But instead of seeing that, instead of being convicted by that, instead of realizing this is the message that John was building or, or bringing, what did they do? I don't kind of like that. So they just ridicule him. They hated on him. They had no openness, no interest, just bitter, critical, contrary spirit. You guys follow me? Right? I'll bring it home in a little bit. Let me just keep, keep breaking this down. And then Jesus shows up, verse 19. The Son of Man came. That's his title. Son of Man is a very honorary title. It's a title in the Old Testament that dec- declares uh, messiahship, declares lordship, declares a, the savior. Right? He, he calls himself the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. So Jesus came. So here, here it is, this guy, John Baptist shows up. He's simple. He's in the desert. He's just crying out. He's telling them to repent. He's living a simple, simplistic lifestyle. Demon-possessed, deranged. We don't like him. He's so secluded. He's so isolated. He has no friends. Where's your relationship? Where's your community? Where's your accountability? Where is your people? He has nobody. Demon-possessed. So Jesus shows up. And Jesus does what? He comes. He eats. He drinks. He celebrates. He was the opposite of John. Right? He came into the, he was part of the social life. He showed up to weddings. He partied. You best, you best believe Jesus partied because he danced, okay? <laughs> he came. He had meals with people. He dwelt in their homes. He was part of social life. He was at the funerals. He, he weeped. He mourned with people. He cared for them. John would be like, all right, death is death. Good luck, man. Move on, right? Jesus was there crying with the neighbors. He was at special events. He was in the synagogue. He was in the temple. He walked. From village to village to village. He didn't make people come to him. He came to them. He was with the fishermen, the, the low class, the blue collar workers. He was with the common man. He was there. He was part of their life. He shared with them. He, and what did they call him? You drunkard. You party animal. You, you, uh, you heathen. Right? You glutton. Instead of seeing Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah who, who was coming to bring life from a, to a world that was dying, dead and dying. Instead of seeing the fullness of humanity explained and displayed in Jesus Christ who has come to bring life to those who are dead and dying, to show them what real living looks like, to show them what it means to be human, instead of seeing Jesus for what he was trying to display, they call him party animal, drunkard, all you do is drink, hang out with the nobodies, right? Is that who you're supposed to talk to? Is that who you're supposed to hang out with? Look at you guys talking about football all the time, (laughs) basketball, right? And they just ridiculed him. They had no openness for him. They had no interest in what he had to say. Just bitter, contrary, critical spirit. Jesus mingled. They criticized him. John didn't mingle. They criticized that. Right? They were never happy no matter what was being brought to them. 
But Jesus says wisdom is proved right by her actions. You know what that means? He's saying, you sit back and all you do is criticize, no matter what John or I do. The truth will justify itself by what it produces. You know what John produced? A generation of people ready to repent. They were repenting of the life that they had been living, the indulgences that they had been giving themselves into. John brought a whole generation to say, why have we clung to anything else but our God? To change, to uproot their life and to have a different trajectory. He prepared these people. There is a new way of living. You got to change. You got to stop. You got to keep. Stop doing what you're doing. There is a different way. You need to repent now. And so John brings this repentance to the people. And here they are. They're just, they're like, but now how do we live? How are we supposed to live? What is the new way? What is the new place? And then Jesus shows up onto the scene and he says, follow me. Let me give you life. Let me show you how to live. John brought the repentance. Jesus brought the life. You guys follow me? He brought the uprootedness, the change, the conviction. Something has to change. My life cannot continue this way. And Jesus says, I know this is the way. I am the way. Go this way. And yet, Jesus said to this generation, no matter what we brought, there are those of you who did not want it. It wasn't the form or style of the message that you didn't like. You know what it was? You simply just rejected the message. You simply just rejected the messengers. You simply just rejected me. Why are we off rhythm with Jesus? You are off rhythm with Jesus not because you don't know of him, not because you're not doing things of him, not because you're not trying. You're off rhythm with Jesus is because you have rejected him deeply in your heart. You speak as if you know the message, and yet the message has not uprooted you, and yet your life has not been moving in the direction of Christ. Why are you off rhythm with Jesus? Because you have rejected deep in your heart. You know this. You have re- but I know you still sit there and you still ask the question. But Tony, how have we rejected Jesus? We're here. We show up every Sunday. We're in church service. We hear the message. We even have salt with people. We show up to small group. We've seen prayers answered. We've actually even prayed some of those prayers. How have we rejected Jesus? How are we off rhythm with Jesus? And here's the answer. Verse 20 and verse 24. You've rejected Jesus. Actually, let me, before I get there. You may have done all those things. But is it not true of you? That you're tired? Right? You're serving, but, you, but here's the thing about being tired. You're tired of the service, not in the service. You know what the difference is? How you know, some of the signs that you know that you are off rhythm 
that you have come to a place in your heart of rejection is that you are tired of the service, not in the service. Tired of the service means what? We're always tired. I'm tired. But I'm tired in the service to the Lord. I'm never tired of the service to the Lord. It is a privilege and an honor for me to serve my King and my Lord. It is the joy of my life to be able to be a vessel and instrument of his use to the world around him. I'm never tired of the service, but there are days when I'm tired in the service. But you know that you are out of rhythm with Christ when your heart of heart keeps saying, I am tired of serving. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of engaging this way. I'm tired of this. Another sign that you are out of rhythm with Christ. This is how you know it in your heart you've rejected him. Because one of, the, one of the signs, one of the symptoms that comes out of rejection of Christ, even though you're still in the church and doing the things of the church, one, that you're tired of service. Secondly, there's a superficial spirituality covered up with lots of activities. Let me say that one more time. There's a superficial spirituality that's covered up with a lots of activities. You know what superficial spirituality is? You pray because you know you have to pray. And when you pray, you kind of just keep saying the same thing over and over. And you're not even really thinking about what you're saying. You're just repeating common phrases that you remember to repeat. There's a superficiality, superficial spirituality is in that you open the word of God only when you're supposed to. And you have to open the word of God. When you come to Sunday service, and some of us even have a hard time doing that, opening God's word to read it. And you know you're supposed to, or you, you open it only when you have salt, because that's, you know, a time when you're supposed to, you're with your salt leader, and hopefully if they're opening the Bibles, you're opening the Bibles too. Superficial spirituality is that you act spiritual, but there's no depth in it. There's no wanting of it. You do things for the Lord, but you actually don't want to be with the Lord. There is a prayer that comes out, what, during food time? But even that becomes like a, uh, like a, like a, like a thing with like, not it, right? Uh, who's praying? Not it. I don't want to pray, right? You're talking to the heavenly father, the king of all universe. Not it. Don't want to talk to that guy, right? You do it. It's almost like a uh, like, a, like a punishment if you didn't put your finger up to your nose fast enough, right, to pray. Some of you guys are like, oh, dang, right? <laughs> There's a superficial spirituality that's covered up with a lot of activities. You know you're superficial in this area, but you kind of like, okay, but I am doing a lot of other things. I'm serving. I'm... Um, I'm, I'm doing things in the background. I'm in, I'm in this team. I'm in this ministry. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And in doing those things, I'm, I'm praying. I'm reading the word. I'm doing those things in those areas. So I must be in a good place, right? 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 No. You still feel off rhythm with God, don't you? And the reason why you feel off rhythm with God is because your, spirit, your spiritual life is so superficial. It's like you're quiet quitting. 
I love that phrase. I don't know why I love that Gen Z phrase. It's like, it's like this, this it's like, it just surmises the whole entire generation. I hate, I, I know you guys hate that, but I, for me, like, I, I feel like it just, that's, that's it. Do the bare minimum. I'm not going to quit, but I'm just going to do the bare minimum. That makes it look like I'm still here, but I'm not really here. And I feel like that's exactly how it is in the, in the church too. I'm just going to do the bare minimum that looks like I'm here, but I'm not really here. There's a superficial spirituality that's covered up with activities. And here's, and here's the kicker. Here's a third sign that you know that you're off rhythm with Jesus, that there's a rejection of him in your heart, is that you don't actually enjoy him. You don't enjoy God, right? You enjoy everything else but the actual presence of being with God. Your daily office is not something that you actually fight for, that you covet it with all of your heart. You're like, ah, I can move it whenever I want. <laughs> yeah, God, uh, I can't fit you in at two, but maybe for 15 minutes at four. Is that okay? Cool. Four o'clock shows up. Ah, I'm really still busy. Maybe at six. Six o'clock shows up. Man, I, I didn't expect this to happen, God. You know, they just showed up. Maybe at nine. You're in bed. Okay, God, I'm, here we are. I'm for you. Lord, I, I'm, I'm, and you start to pray. Lord Jesus, I, and you're done. Isn't that true? There's no enjoyment of the Lord. There's no enjoyment when you open this word. And the Bible says this, his name is supposed to be honey to your lips. The word of God is supposed to be honey to your lips. It's supposed to, we don't, let me tell you, as Christians, we don't worship God for fear of hell. You're right? We don't worship God as a, as a consolation prize. If we don't, we, get to, we, we go to hell. We worship God because he is the utmost of praise. We worship him because he, he gives us value. We realize our value in him. We realize our identity. There is peace. There is joy. There is, there is, there is a sense of understanding. There's a sense of being seen and being heard, being known. We worship God because of who he is. There's a joy behind that. But here's the thing about being off rhythm with Jesus. There is no enjoyment. Your spirituality is superficial, covered up with lots of activities. You're tired of serving, not in serving. And still, I know you asked a question, but how have we rejected Jesus, Tony? Here's the answer. Verse 20 and 24. This is Jesus going on. You've rejected him. You're off rhythm with him because you did not repent. Let me look at verse 20 right here. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Jesus begins to call out some of these cities that he was at, that he went to over and over. He, he goes into those places and he says, all those miracles I've done, all those messages I've shared, this is what he says. Check this out. He denounced them because they did not repent. 
Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles, depths being their Hades, Right? Death being the, the spot where you're about to be condemned. If the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Sodom, it would have been remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on a day of judgment than for you. Let me try to break this down. He, he busts out a couple cities here. He's trying to, we don't have the background to these cities, so I'm going to give you the background to these cities to explain to you how heavy what Jesus is saying is. Okay, Corazon and Bethsaida. He says, woe to you, Corazon and Bethsaida. These are the places that Jesus showed up. He expressed his awesome power. He healed people in that area. He preached with authority and power. And the Bible said they came out in droves, in droves to see him. And when they saw him do all these things, the Bible said they were amazed. They were amazed. But... They did not repent. And let me tell you what I mean by repent. Repent is not, sorry, right? I made a mistake. Repent means, look at my life. How could I have lived in any other way? Repentance means there's an uprootedness of who you are. Whatever you have built your life into, repentance means I'm going to rip that life, out of those things I've built my life into. I'm going to uproot myself and I'm going to plant myself in the foundation that is Jesus Christ, my Lord, and I'm going to live and I'm going to grow and I'm going to walk in him. And there is no other way. There is no other option. There is no other thoughts. That's repentance. And so here, Bethsaida and Corazon, they come, they saw all these things and they were amazed. They were amazed. Who is this guy who preached with such authority? Who is this guy who can heal the blind, the deaf, the mute, the cripple? They were amazed by him. And yet, that was it. That was cool, they said. That was pretty cool. They walked back to their homes as if nothing changed. They walked back into their homes, to their business, to their life, to their schools, as if nothing Absolutely nothing affected them. And here's Tyre, and, and, and he compares these two cities to Tyre and Sidon. In the eyes of the first century Jews, if they threw out that city, it would be kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's good, Vegas, Vegas would be kind of like it, right? Kind of like it. But this place was even worse. Tyre and Sidon, it was like, it was a seafaring town. It was a town for the Phoenicians. They were seafaring people. And like all seaports, they were filled with everything, like, like you know, Seamen, they've been on, on the boat for months, and so when they get off, they just need to do their thing. And so there were brothels all across the seaport. It was an area of just huge fornication. It was an area where they worshipped temples. Temples were erected to the gods of Baal. It was a place where these people would actually capture Jews and sold them into slavery. The, 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 the prophet Amos uh, denounced those two cities. And Jesus said this, this wicked place, Tyre and Sidon, this wicked place who is just so caught up 
in their fornication, so caught up in their idolatry, so caught up in their wickedness of heart. These places, Jesus said this, if they would have heard what you heard, if they would have seen what you've seen, if they would have experienced what you would have experienced, you know what would happen to them? They would have repented. They would not have simply said, oh, that's cool. That was nice. And went back to their normal life. Jesus said, if those cities saw what I did in them, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. This is how the Bible expresses as true repentance. This is how Jesus said true repentance looks like. Back then to repent truly, to, to let people know that you are deeply repentant of what you were doing, they put on these sackcloth and then they will just bury themselves in ash. As if like, I'm just dirt. I'm not even worthy of living. I'm not even a human. I'm just, and you just cover themselves with ash. This is who I'm, I came from the dirt and to the dirt I will return. They were in that state. It's like, it's like almost, this is how you know. Like, like for example, and a good, a good uh, analogy would be when you see someone ugly crying, Right? You know, just cries. He's like, oh, are you really serious? You know, like, you know, when Enoch cries, like, you're not, you're not really crying. Those are alligator tears, right? But then there's ugly cry. Ugly cry is when you're like, oh, something really happened. Oh, they're really sad. Oh, something's really going on. Oh, they're really heartbroken. Something's going on. It's just that face that you know. Sackcloth and ashes is the exact same expression. It's this, this picture of saying this, this place would have truly repented. They would have uplifted their brothel life. They would have uplifted their idolatry. They would have uplifted their wickedness, and they would have been planted upon my word, and they would have changed their life. They would have followed in my way. They would have walked in my footsteps. They were not like you, so it is more bearable for them. The day of judgment. The day of judgment is the, the day when God judges everyone. So Tyre and Sidon, they will be judged, right, for they have lived wickedly. But this is what Jesus said. It's crazy. He said, it's more bearable for them than it will be for you. You know what that means? It's an indication that in, in, in hell, in the damnation of hell, there's degrees of punishment. There's degrees of actual punishment. That for Tyre and Sidon, it will be more bearable for them than for you, Corazon and Bethsaida. Why? Because you heard, you seen, you were there, and you did not repent. You did not change your life. You did not uproot your trajectory, your, your life, and go on a new trajectory. And then he goes on to Sodom and Capernaum. Let me break these two cities down for you real fast. I'm pretty sure you know Sodom, Okay. So if you know Sodom, that's how you know how famous Sodom is. And it wasn't famous for a good reason either, right? But Capernaum, Capernaum. Capernaum was, a, was, was, was actually the, the, the prettier side of Galilee. Okay? It's the prettier side of the area where Jesus did his ministry. Capernaum was where the heavy work that Jesus did. This is where he showed up the most. This is where he, did, he, he spent most of his energy. This is the place where you get the stories like the paralytic that was carried up to the upper room. Right? There was no room. There's all these crowds. And the four friends had to dig a hole in the, on the man's roof just to lower him down. That was in Capernaum. Capernaum was when you hit Jairus' daughter. Right? Jairus' daughter, two blind men. It's in, the, 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 Jairus' daughter, the, the, the woman who, uh, who, who bled for years. That was in Capernaum. 
The centurion who, who loved his servant so much that I said, Jesus, if you would just, just say the word and my servant will be here. You don't have to go there. That was in Capernaum. And Jesus said, this is the place where he did most of his work. All of his, most of his energy was here. And Jesus said, you are going to receive an even tougher judgment than Sodom. Sodom. You know why? Because Capernaum, Capernaum, they saw all these things. They were amazed by it. But they were indifferent to Jesus. If they would have just rejected Jesus, Jesus, Jesus rather have you reject them because you've experienced this thing and you say, I do not want you. Or bow down and complete worship you. But the worst place you can be, the worst place you can be is indifferent to it. To know it, to have heard it, to have experienced the peripheries of it, and yet still not be changed. Yet still be indifferent to what God is trying to do in your life. To kind of be like, oh, that's nice. Okay, I got some time. Oh, what's next? What's next? What's the next big thing church is going to do for us? What's the next big thing that's going to show up? What's the next big spiritual high I'm going to experience? And he said it would be better for Sodom than for you. Let me tell you about Sodom. Just in case, though, yes, you might not know Sodom. It was the city where all the men gathered in their lust to come out in front of the house of Lot just to rape the two guests that God brought to them, to him. They, they saw these, the Bible says they call them angels. They showed up to Lot to kind of warn him. And all the men saw these beautiful young men come into Lot's house, and they came out to do what? Bring them out. We want to sleep with them. We want to completely rape these guys. Crazy. The word sodomy is from this town. And you know what Abraham, Abraham begged for this town. He said, Lord, if there, what if there's five good people, righteous people? If there was five, would you spare the whole town? And God said, yeah, I would. If there was only five people, if you can find me five people, that's righteous. I will spare the whole entire lustful, broken, wicked city of, of Sodom. And guess what? Couldn't even find. Couldn't even have it. They were so bad that God wiped them out of existence. Fire and brimstone, you know that the phrase fire and brimstone came from this city. And when people say, oh, he's preaching fire and brimstone, that's really what happened. It was a complete annihilation of this town. To a Jew, if they ask yes, you, what is the worst city you can think about? The first thought would be Sodom. Sodom. And Jesus said this, if they would have seen what I did in your town, Capernaum. If they would have seen that I healed a woman who had bled for 20 years. If they have seen that I brought a dead girl back to life. If they would have seen a paralyzed man stand up and walk. If they have heard the message that I preached, Sodom would have repented. Sodom would have stopped in their sexual idolatry. They would have uprooted their life and be planted in me. 
and change the course of their future and their legacy forever. Sodom would have repented if they have seen and heard what you have seen and heard. So he calls them out and he says, it is so much, is more bearable for them. It is, bear, it is so much more bearable for Sodom than for you, Capernaum. Because why? Because you saw all these things and you were indifferent to them. You did not care. You did not let it even affect one iota of your life. One minute of your life. It meant nothing to you. The word that was preached, the life that was given, the, the world around you, the, the, the miracles you have seen, it meant nothing to you but a simple, oh, that was nice. I'm amazed. What does that mean for us? You know why? You know how you have rejected Jesus? You know how you have rejected Jesus? How you are off rhythm with Jesus? Simple as that. You have heard. You have heard the word of God preached. You have been in communities where you have seen miracles of God answered, prayers answered in this place. You have seen God come through into the life of this community, to the life of your brethren over and over and over again. And instead of uprooting your life and saying, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot continue this style, this way of living. I have to be rooted in Christ to change who you are. You decided that was nice. That was cute. That was cool. And you walked away indifferent, indifferent to what God has been doing all along. And this is, this, is, this, is the, this is the call to you. It's to get out of the middle. Oh, that you would rather, I'd rather you reject Christ. Say, so I've heard these things. I've heard, listened to them. You know what? I don't want it. I'm okay with that. At least you're honest. The one place you should not be, the one place where you cannot be, is simply saying, I kind of like Jesus because he's a great teacher. I kind of have a lot of good principles that I can draw from these things every day. It's, he is either Lord and Savior and creator of this world, or he is not. And if he is, the only action that is required, the only action that is even worthy of it is for you to bow down and worship, for you to uproot your life and say, oh God, here I am. Everything I have before, I count it as complete rubbish. Everything I live now for you, for your glory, for your kingdom, for I know who you are. And I've seen what you've done. That's, that's the cry that Job had. My eyes have seen, my ears have heard, and now I repent in dust and ashes. There is no other way. And he calls you, get out of the indifference. Get out of the middle. Get out of that place where you just simply see Jesus as a nice teacher, a great philosopher, a moral guy, a guru. He is none of that. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is King. He is God. You can't just like him. 
And you can't just merely appreciate him. And you definitely can't just merely affiliate yourself with him. You have to be changed by him, church. You have to learn to repent. You have to see that the course of your life needs to be uprooted and set upon the road of Calvary, that you will carry your cross and follow him wherever he may lead. I'm not telling you that it's going to be nice, sunny weather all day. I'm not telling you that it's going to be great and the rhythm is going to be beautiful and everything's going to be lovely and kind and easy. I'm not telling you that the following after Christ is going to be what everyone else is going to cheer you on for. But I am telling you that this is the only road that leads to life. It is the only road that in the middle of the deepest struggle, you have the firmness of foundation to hold strong. It is the only road that you can face whatever waves and mountains that come at your way and with firm assurance say, I will not move for I know that my God can move the mountains. It is the only road that brings life. Every other will lead to death. And here's, here's a tricky thing. All you youngins, all you young college brothers and sisters, I know you think you're going to live forever. You're not. I know that you, you're not worried about tomorrow because you're still young and carefree. And you still have so many things that you want to try so many options that you want to give a shot for and see what happens. Every road that is not of God will not matter. All it will do will sink you deeper and deeper into a place of death. Until you cannot come back because you don't even know how to come back anymore. Why are we out of rhythm with the Lord? Why is it that we're tired of service and not actually just in the service? Why is our spirituality so superficial and yet we think we're okay because we've covered it up with so much activities? Why is it that you're with the God of the universe who said my burden is easy and my yoke is light and yet I do not enjoy his presence? His presence is actually a burden to me. Sunday service becomes a time where I have to show up and I cannot wait to actually leave. That I show up and I count the minutes till lunchtime. I count the, I count the thoughts of what I'm going to do after service. Where to be with God becomes a burden and not the actual joy. Why are we out of rhythm with the Lord? Because let's be honest. Please be honest. You know that deep down inside you've rejected him. We give lip service. But deep in your heart of hearts, you know he is not Lord. How have we rejected him? You have not repented. There is no change in your life, church. There's no change in the course of your life. And I know you guys ask the question, so how do I begin? Let's say I do repent. Let's say I do listen to John the Baptist. And I'm brought here and I'm come to a place of repentance. 
how do I begin to walk the road of life? There's a retreat coming up this Friday. <laughs> you, know? you like that, huh? There's a retreat coming up this Friday. We initiated this Friday. And if you miss it, it's okay. If you can't come for whatever reason, we'll try to unpack it for the rest of the series. But the retreat is when you get away, hopefully this message, hopefully the word of God stirs into your heart that says, I got to do something. And what's the first thing you can do is just get away. Get away from your busyness. Get away from your distraction. Come to a place where you're listening wholeheartedly, fully. And see what God says. I don't know what he's going to do. But I know if we go there seeking for him, we're not, we're not going to leave not finding him. And the hope, the hope of my heart is that, is that we get back into rhythm. And can I promise you, I, I can promise you this. The mechanics of getting back into rhythm, you're going to mess up. You're not going to hit the snare every single time. But if you keep practicing, if you keep walking on the road that Christ calls you to walk on, eventually, you know what happens? You don't have to even think about it. Because your life and his life matches in rhythm. And where he goes, he doesn't even have to question it. You go with him. Even if it seems that he leads you to the darkest of valleys, King David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For... You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me. The word follow is not just oh, like a puppy follow. It is, the, it is the hound of heaven chasing after you follow. Surely the goodness and love of my God will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of my God forever. Amen? Let's pray.